57. Uh, welcome back to the Windows Emirs podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're coming, man, to the home stretch of the book of Psalms, and we're still dealing with the songs of ascent. So remember, the songs of ascent were these uh, 14 uh, psalms that the people of Israel would sing as they journeyed towards Jerusalem, right? And they would be going towards Zion, and they would be going to God's temple to worship him. And on the way there, these were the songs they would sing. And for us as Christians, as we're journeying towards our heavenly reward, the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, we can sing the psalms with them as well. So Psalm 128 comes and says this, How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You'll be happy and it will go well for you. All right. So the psalm starts off and talks about this blessings, this blessing and this well-being and this happiness um, that comes from walking with God. And ultimately, this is rooted in the fear of the Lord, meaning that um, God is who you fear and worship. Right. God is the person you worship. So that plays out into every area of your life. Now, remember that here um, in Scripture, blessing is often attached to obedience, right? Like that's a biblical truth that is found all throughout the pages of the Bible. But um, we can't, we got to be careful in saying that because we can fall off of uh, a legalistic side of the horse, if you will, and think that the absence of blessing or perceived blessing in our lives means the presence of disobedience, right? So it's not, those two things aren't, uh, contradictory but they're complementary right so just because your life doesn't seem blessed doesn't mean you're disobeying necessarily but when you are obeying God there is a kind of blessing that will come from obeying him right and the, and the text tells us so it says yo ultimately you'll be happy <laughs> and yeah like and that's what many of us really want right we want this well-being we want this happiness and only God can give it to us and when we obey him yeah, obedience is not uh, a hindrance upon our joy. It's actually the secret to it, right? It's actually the secret to it. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, yo, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor, right? And then he goes on and talks about, you know, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, right? And um, your children like young olive trees around your table. And so this language of fruitful vine, he's talking about uh, offspring, right, and things like that. Um, but he's also trying to say that, like, man, this uh, what wisdom and this fear of the Lord is infectious, right? It doesn't just um, stay with you. It actually helps the people around you flourish. So when we obey, especially uh, he speaks of his household language, especially those who are uh, really, really close to us have the ability to be uh, infected and affected uh, by the blessing that God gives and we have echoes here of Genesis 1, where he says, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 and Genesis 12, where um, God promised to multiply Abraham's seed. And yeah, a wise life based upon the fear of the Lord has the possibility of bringing blessing upon a person's family. All right. Psalm 129 comes and we have yeah an imprecatory psalm. Um, and it says this, you know. Since my youth, they have often attacked me. Let Israel say, since my youth, they have often attacked me, but they have not prevailed against me. 
Plowmen plowed over my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the ropes of the wicked. Then in 5 through 7, he gets to the imprecation, right? We talked about this a little bit in Psalm 109. He says, yo, let all who hate Zion be driven back by disgrace. Let them be like grass on the rooftops, which withers before it grows up and can eat and can't even feel the hands of the reaper or the arms of the one who binds sheaves. So remember, uh, in the book of Psalms, we have the psalmist oftentimes praying, asking God, right? Yo, judge the wicked, right? In accord with your righteous character. Now notice what he says in verse five. He says, yo, let all who hate Zion. What does he mean? In other words, this is where geography and anthropology get intertwined, right? So in other words, Zion represents God's people here in this text. So in other, because he's saying ultimately, yo, the primary identity of the people of God rests not in where we are, but with whom, with whom we will be, right? So, for example, Paul in his letter to the Philippian church will say, yo, you are citizens of heaven, right? Now, right? That's where your primary identity lies. So, in other words, when he says Zion, he's talking about God's people. Now, the point of application here for us is that in light of our identity as heavenly citizens, because we serve the God of heaven, we can pray that God will smite, judge, and hinder evil in this life. We can. We don't have to wait to the sweet by and by. We can wait. I mean, we can come to the Lord and say this now. The psalmist writes us a heavenly permission slip to travel via prayer and give these cares to our great God. Psalm 130. I love Psalm 130. It says this. Out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness so that you may be revered. Now, this is what we would call a penitential psalm. So it's basically a psalm where you have the psalmist uh, giving a hymn of repentance, right, to God, right? And we see this here all throughout uh, the, the book of Psalms. And now this is him calling and crying out to God, not because someone has sinned against him, like, like in 129, but because of his own sin against oneself, Right. And many of us have been there before. And so he asked this rhetorical question in verse three. And when he says, yo, if you kept an account of iniquities, like who could really stand before you? And the obvious answer being no one. Right. If God really kept an account of every single sin that every single person has done, we would have no legs to stand on before him. Right. And he switches and he says, yo. But with you, there is forgiveness, right? There's forgiveness. But why? Why does God forgive us? Look at the text. So that you may be revered. <laughs> so that you may be revered. In other words, it's so that we could worship God. Right? Our forgiveness is meant to drive us into worship. Or put it another way, we can often tell the realization of the forgiveness we've received in Christ by the way we worship and our desire for worship. Guys, God is so much more inclined to forgive than we are inclined to sin. His forgiveness is greater still. Verse 8 finishes the psalm and says that he will redeem all of Israel from all of its iniquities. And we know that in the person of Jesus, Yahweh does this by sending his son, Jesus, to provide redemption through his life, death, burial and resurrection. And in a sense, we as, on, as Christians on the other side of the cross 
have seen the reality of what Israel hoped for in Christ. And this is all because, yeah, he loves us, right? And the text would say that too. And this is a message that never, ever gets old. It never gets old. And man, if you're listening to this today and your sins are loud right now, don't try to turn the volume down, right? Like don't try to turn them down or turn off the radio by yourself. Know that God is going to intervene and get the last word. Go to him for forgiveness. Psalm 31. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. I think the psalm uh, says a few things, but one of the things I think it really does say is that, man, the kingdom is upside down. And Jesus will come in Matthew's gospel and teach us this on a Sermon on the Mount. Um, but one of the things, you know, Christ will get at throughout all of his ministry and teaching is that, man, we know we are growing in godliness when we become like infants, right? Like when we become, in other words, the way up is down, right? The way we uh, grow in, uh, when we grow in dependence upon the Lord, right? Like that's the true mark of Christian maturity, right? And yeah, I love it because man, maybe right now, I don't even think I can mind the depths of that truth because I'm not a parent, right? But when you have children, I'm sure those of you who listen who may have children can understand how dependent they are on you, right? So he says, literally like a weaned child, right? You quiet my soul. And, you know, we need to give our lives over to God and depend on him the way a newborn does his parents, right? We need to cry when we need to, to him. We need to depend on him for all of our needs. We need to cast all of our worries and anxieties where they need to be with him. We need to run to him when we're afraid. We need to obey him for our own good, right? And we need to love him because without him, there would be no us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for these truths that you've given us in your word. I pray that, God, they wouldn't just be something we swallow today, but something we savor, God, something we meditate on, something we really believe. I pray that uh, this would drive our lives your word and that we will give our lives 